Welcome into a new Buff Stampede radio. Adam Munster Tiger, the publisher of BuffStampede.com on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm going to be joined by football analyst William Gardner here in a minute to break down the top 10 ranked players on this year's 2023 Top Buffs Countdown. I just wanted to hop on here first and give a heads up that the following was recorded on July 30th. So less than a week after hitting publish, but before preseason camp in Boulder kicked off. I don't know if a whole lot's happened the first three practices at, at Colorado that would change any of our rankings, but just wanted to throw that out there between Colorado's jump to the Big 12 and preseason camp getting started. Uh, it got a little nuts and took a couple days longer than I wanted to get this up, but uh, let's dive into it now. I really am excited to get into this top 10 countdown because I think when we get to the conclusion of this, uh, it's pretty clear that this is the best top 40 list we've had on busstampede.com. Uh, I'd have to go back and look at 2016 to kind of see how much better this year's group is. Uh, maybe not, right? I, I guess because you had so many NFL guys on that but you, defense. But you didn't, you didn't know that at yeah. this point. Right. You didn't know that at this point. Yeah. And I think there are a lot of those guys that if we'd if we'd have talked about them as being draft picks in late July, people would have said, Well, you're homers. And you're 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 saying that because they were good here, but they haven't done that yet. Because yeah. a lot of those guys didn't do that until that year. Yeah. Kenneth Olabode, Jimmy Gilbert, they were just actually kind of guys that got flack from the fans a little bit until yeah. that year. Uh and- and Jordan Carroll. Jordan Carroll was a guy who couldn't make the tackle in the backfield. You know, yep. missed, missed the missed those ta- tackles for losses. Yeah, Josh Tupo went through all his stuff. So yeah, it really right. was the stars aligning, and uh, you can't predict what's going to happen. The the prognosticators don't give Colorado right. much of a chance this year. That over under is three and a half, and man, uh, when I see that number, that's when I start to feel like a homer because I'm like, there's too much talent on this football team right. for that, them to not win more than three games. Right, and and the teams that we're playing, you know, not they're not all going to live up to their to their uh, to their um, expectations and what have you. And I was thinking about with this top forty and all these transfers in for Colorado, a lot of them are going to surprise. Some of them are going to surprise because they don't live up to what we expect. Okay, but I'm going to tell you, in thirty plus years of watching this, there are always dudes that nobody expects to do anything who turn out to be superstars. Not just stars, but superstars. And there's some guys, maybe, I, I guarantee you, there'll be some guys that didn't make it in our top 40 who at the end of the year we look back and go, oh, how did we miss that? Yeah. Yeah. A couple of those defensive linemen, I think, have got a chance to, to be right. that. Right. Uh, yeah. Well, my, my, you know, my, my, I, I got to tell you, man, I keep watching these videos and Bishop Thomas just kind of grows on me, man. That, that kid's funny. It's interesting because our Florida State folks, we're kind of intimating that, you know, this was a guy that was going to have a hard time getting on the field there, but he was like, you know, he was at least their scout team player of the year and was a guy that, you know, was at least getting accolades from the coaches there. And he's a young guy, you know, yeah. he was a guy that was going to continue freshman, to develop. Right? Just a true freshman, wasn't he? Yeah. He's red shirt freshman now. So yeah. Like so, what the hell? He he wasn't getting on the field as, as a guy right out of high school. Ooh, we well, you know, throw him out. <laughs> well, let's jump into it. And okay. at number ten is Giovanni Antonio. He's not a household name. Only I think the folks that do watch the behind the scenes footage uh, this summer would actually really buy into the hype around this guy. But 
man, he sure looks good uh, in shorts out there the, the summer. Oh. He, he, he's a guy that's produced, not not at this level, but he got 64 passes last year. So he's at least proven it at the college level, just not at this power five level. Right. And what, what do he's like, you know, 6'4", 215, something. something 225. So he's bigger than Sadu Traore was as a yeah, tight end. Right. Yeah. And 6'4", uh, 2 and a quarter. And, and, you know, I was just thinking to myself, I was going to ask you this. In, in probably any of the last 10 years, don't you think he'd be in the top three? In terms of receivers? Like no, in, in terms of players on 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 the CU team, Oof. I mean, given given six, you know, given his size and speed, and looking at some of those videos where he's he's you know he's kind of toying with some of these really good defensive yeah. backs out there. I think it's just hard to say at this point because yeah. you you don't want to put too much stock into summer one on ones. You know, Keenan Canty used to be a, an all star in those settings, uh, so. <laughs> We have gotten burned in the past, but I mean, remember last summer, Jordan Tyson was kind of doing this and he lived right. up to the hype. So uh, Giovanni Antonio having a lot more experience than Jordan Tyson, obviously Tyson was right. a, a true freshman last year and Antonio has been around, you know, in, in the college game. Now uh, went, to, went to the Juco level. So he got humbled there, then goes to Northwestern right. state really blew up. And uh, I don't know what the quarterback play was like with him there at Northwestern state. I have, I haven't gotten that deep into it, but everything right. we've heard since he's been on CU's campus is that uh, this is a guy that's probably, uh, I, I don't know if he's going to challenge to lead the team in receiving, but I think he's going to have as many big plays out of that position uh, as anybody else. And, and I wonder, you know, given his size, he's such a mis- mismatch nightmare and, and, you know, a little teaser on the rest of the top 10, but um, you know, uh, Given the other receivers on this team, uh, who may be the top, you know, the guy that the defense focuses on, and and given his size, he may be the guy in in the red zone that Shadur looks for because he can just mismatch. Really, whether whether you cover him with a defensive back, a a cornerback, or whether if you cover him with a a cornerback, they're going to be not big enough for the most part. Um, If you cover him with a linebacker, they ain't going to be athletic and fast enough. So you really kind of got one of those situations against this guy uh, as a defensive coordinator or a secondary coach where you got a problem. Um, and what are you going to do about it? Now, I, I, I think that um, given what we saw in spring and summer so far, Jimmy Horn is going to be that first guy that Shadur looks for out there in, in the larger field when it's more open. But when the field gets compacted and you get all those 11 defenders in that little area – a dude six four that can jump like this guy is going to be the guy you're going to look for in the corner of the end zone. And one other thing to point out to justify where we have Giovanni Antonio is the fact that he earned a single digit by standing out this summer. That that was something that Coach Prime was pretty clear about. If you're you've got to really excel to earn a single digit to play in this program under my watch and. Uh, Giovanni Antonio is going to be wearing number four out there this yeah. fall. So I, I think that says well, something as well. Doesn't this make you feel quite a bit better about the Sadu Treor thing and just how that didn't work oh, out? Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and I'm going to, okay. You know, when I say they reminds me of, okay, don't take and say, Hey, uh, Max said, blah, blah, blah. Reminds me of Michael Westbrook. He's the same size, same athletic skill package. 
watching him out there in, in shorts, you know, he, he kind of, <laughs> these guys try to body up on him and it's a joke, man. They, they, they kind of like, it's, it's like a little kid trying to push their brother and, and you know, brother like on a basketball court, the brother just kind of got a hand on their forehead, you know, and uh, it, it's kind of funny uh, just to see. I don't think people fully understand what it means to have a guy that big running like a gazelle through an open secondary. And we haven't seen that a lot since Mike Westbrook. So uh, this could be very exciting. Yeah. I mean, you're not saying that Giovanni Antonio is going to be a college football hall of famer, but there is a physical side of, of him that does remind you so much of Michael right. Westbrook. And of right. course, Michael Westbrook goes on to have a career in MMA after his football career. Right. Uh, uh, Javon has got a little bit of that in his DNA. There, there's no doubt about right. it. And that's exactly what I was thinking is that physical aspect that, 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 you know, Michael, Michael Westbrook wasn't just a fast guy. He was a tough guy. Uh, you know, he was a quarterback, I think, in high school, if I remember all the way back there in the dawn of time. But uh, uh, Michael Westbrook didn't didn't play like a wide receiver. In the, he played like a linebacker um, and he had the size of a linebacker. So it made sense. And I think Giovanni Antonio has a lot of that moxie in him, too. And, and that's going to make a big difference. <laughs> Everybody listening can tell we're both pretty excited about him. I think. Javon Antonio might be the guy that I'm most anxious to see if we're allowed in for any preseason practices. Yeah. yeah and I, I, I think he's a guy in those first couple of games, that's going to be a huge shock to some defenses out there. They're going to be like, what the heck? I thought this team was no good. This guy's their third guy. What? Third or fourth. I mean, he could even, fourth, if you fourth, throw Travis Hunter in there. Yeah. You know? And so you, you look in, um, and and I think the defenses are going to come out and, and and they're not going to know what to do with this guy, you know. And I think we've got a smart enough offensive coordinator and a smart enough quarterback that they know that, and they're going to watch for it. <clears throat> Just one last point here, and then we'll move on. I'm about to get yelled at here at the, at the next one based on our voting. Uh, <laughs> we we've overvalued the receiver depth at Colorado quite a few times in like the last 20 years, right? Um, now in 2016, they lived up to the hype, but generally that position hasn't produced quite as much as what our preseason expectations were on a pretty consistent basis. But when you look at Travis Hunter and Jimmy Horn Jr., Xavier Weaver, what they did, uh, you know, what, what Travis has done when he's been healthy. I mean, he was not healthy last year at Jackson State, but what you know, Horn and Weaver did at UCF, uh, USF, and then uh, what Javon Antonio did, it, it feels like it. it's going to be a good depth this year as opposed – like I just don't see this as a situation where they're not going to live up to the hype. Well, there's two things. First of all, the, these guys are proven at the college level. You know, they, they have uh, – had they've all had success at the college level, you know, to maybe not all pack, uh, power five, but they've proven that they can play against older guys and, and actually uh, produce. And even more importantly, we got an offense, you know, I mean, you, you can't judge, I am sorry, but you can't judge any receiver playing in the crap we've called an offense the last four or five, six years because it's been garbage and, and it hasn't been well designed and hasn't been well called. Um, and, you know, we haven't had the other weapons out there to use. And we haven't had a quarterback. We haven't had a quarterback who can really throw the ball. <sighs> well, let's not go. Let's not dive down that that uh, hole of uh, stuff. But uh, 
I think we got a quarterback good, and, and good gonna, good uh, good veering away from that. I, I think yeah, yeah I, I think say, I think we I all just say, get depressed when we think back to the, the I mean, especially the last two years. My goodness. Right. And so I, I think I think you know our offensive coordinator now is first rate and he's got an offense that works and opens the field up. And <clears throat> And this may sound counterintuitive, but the fact that this is a run first offense is going to make things easier for the wide receivers because they're going to try to stop that run game and, and move things up. And that's going to let some of these speed guys we got get behind people. And uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Today's episode is brought to us by Macaulay Capital Fractional CFO Services. Is your business looking for financial guidance and support, but not yet big enough to hire a full time CFO? Well, we have a solution for you. Hiring a fractional CFO who can work with your business on a part-time basis. You get the benefit of having a seasoned financial expert on your team without the commitment or expense of a full-time hire. And here's the best part. It's likely that a partnership with Macaulay Capital will be a win-win situation, meaning that your business will make more money from the guidance of a fractional CFO than the total cost of partnering with us. For more information or to set up a meeting, please visit MacaulayCapital.com. That's M-C-C-A-U-L-E-Y Capital.com. All right, number nine is offensive tackle Jared Christian Lichtenhan. Uh, I had him ranked 23rd on my list. William, you had him at 5th and Brian at 6th. So clearly I am uh, way off in terms of my expectations for tank this year and it's not that I don't like tank I I guess I just want to see a little bit more of it on game days he was pretty good last year and and it his progression has been very linear it seems like every stretch of practices going from spring ball to the next camp he's gotten substantially better and and that's just continued on and uh kudos to Chris Kapilovich because this was not a popular commitment when he took it back in the 2020 class uh, Tank, he came from a, a little bit of a smaller area in Northern California where just not a lot of recruiters go through Davis, California. So um, he didn't have any other Power 5 offers. So Coach Cap uh, had a very short tenure in Boulder, but man, he was a really good yeah. offensive line coach. Uh, and this is one of the gifts, I guess, he left behind when he went with Mel Tucker up to Michigan State. Yeah, and I think, I think you know, I said I said everybody's missing the boat on Jack Wilty, but I think everybody's really missing the boat on, on Jared Lichtenhan. And, and I guess it kind of surprised me because he was pretty good last year and he got better as the year went on. By the end of the year, he and Casey Roddick were pretty dominant on that left side. And I know the knee-jerk reaction is, hey, our offensive line was no good, but they were actually fairly decent last year. The offensive line was not the problem on that offense. Uh, and and Jared Lichtenhan on the left-hand side, he and Roddick were pretty dominant towards the end of the season. Uh, and he got better and his pass protection was better and watching him out there this summer um, – you know, uh, Bill O'Boyle's really had an impact on him, but, uh, um, and, and again, it's hard to say what this means, but, uh, Lichtenhan was dominant in spring. He, he was dominant in spring and both in the run game and pass game. Now, I, again, I don't know what that means. Does that mean the guys across from uh, on our t- team in spring weren't any good? Well, a lot of them aren't here anymore, so who knows? But all I know is that everything I've seen from Jared Lichtenhan, um, in the last 12 months tells me, and I'm going to go ahead and say this, he's a draft pick. He's an NFL draft pick because, you know, the NFL is funny. And uh, when it comes down to draft day, your measurables often mean more than your film. Um, not that they don't look at the film, but 
there ain't nobody out there who's an offensive line coach in the NFL that isn't going to drool over this guy's measurables because because he looks like Nate he he looks like Nate Solder. Um, you know he's he's not going to freaky crazy athletic guy like that, but uh, his height and his length uh, and his ability to do things. Now I was watching one of those videos the other day, and he is really he was they were working outside and one on one techniques, and he's really refined his technique, and he did this really nice. He was doing a pass rush against a speed rush. He did this really nice inside punch and then an outside punch. And I know that doesn't mean anything to anybody else, but it means a lot to me because that's that's how you put a guy off balance. You hit him with this one and you you, you know you just knock him a little bit off and then you jack him with that one and now you've got him. Right. And I had not seen that from because everybody else just like and that that was a high level move. That was a high level little trick. And he probably picked that up from somebody coming around like a Nate Solder or somebody saying, hey, look, you know, you do this first. And then um, he's refining his game. And I'm going to tell you, this this guy, Jared Lickenhan, is going to play in the NFL, barring injury, for a long time. So I said it and write it down. <laughs> uh, and, and I just think that that uh, I, I, I just think that the guy is easily one of the top teams. And he may well be one of the top tackles in the conference. I think, uh, and I don't want to be mean towards Frank Phillip because uh, he's a great young man and he's really bright and he's got his degree and he's going to do really good things in life. But uh, I think this kind of shows you the difference between an offensive tackle that that loves the game of football and one that uh, we, we've talked about this on the podcast before, William, you've coached guys that uh, they just don't need the game and it's harder for them, especially when you're, you talk about a trench player because those, right. Some of those practices just aren't going to be, most of those practices just aren't going to be fun. Yeah. Uh, so it's got to be in your DNA that you just love the game of football. And uh, I've gotten that vibe with Jared Christian Lichenhan. He has right. like usually a smile on his face and, and he seems to be a guy that generally uh, enjoys being out there with, with his teammates. Yeah. I think, um, you know, he, he, he's in his own skin, you know, and he's grown in. I, I, I think he was a guy early on, didn't know what to do quite what to do with being six foot 10. Okay. That's not a natural height for an offensive, for a football player, period. Right. He's supposed to be playing center at that height. And I don't know if he knew how to use his body. And, 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 and I'm going to go back to this too. In defense of Frank Phillip, man, look at the coaches, look at the tomato cans. They put up to coach these guys because it's ridiculous and it's a malpractice and somebody ought to sue somebody quite frankly, because what may, may, I don't know, you know, I don't know Frank Phillip and I don't know whether he, he lost his interest in the game because he, you know, had people coaching him that had no business coaching him, but um, these guys did not get developed and now they're getting developed and they're both in the weight room. The weight room stuff is, is fantastic. And now I think also, you know, I think Frank Phillip thrived having a guy like Casey Roddick next to him. And I think he thrives having now a guy like Tyler Brown next to him. Right. And you're surrounded by all these guys and it just, you know, you look at the vibe of these workouts and it drives you, you know, and if you're a competitor, man, you, you, you feed into that and you go a little bit crazy and you get extra work and you do it, you do it hard. But I was watching Jared Lichtenhan in one of those videos, um, uh, working with, uh, there, there's a, there's a, a young tackle, on the squad that he just sort of appeared out of nowhere. He's 6'6", 295. I can't remember his name, and I don't know where he came from. But uh, Lichtenhan was was coaching him, you know, and was like, you know, no, no, get your back up, like, to get your hands in here. like, And and, and it's like, that is a higher level of 
both confidence in your own game and your knowledge of the game that he's becoming a coach on the field. And, and I don't, I, I think he's going to be one of the dominant uh, offensive linemen. And I think a, a real leader on this team in terms of the work ethic. And, and he brings sort of that. I've been in Bowler for a while, stability uh, to this new group of guys. And he's kind of like a, kind of like a post you can hit, you know, tie your boat to, I guess, or I'm looking for a, I'm raving about the guy because I think he's fantastic. Well, he is the top-ranked returning guy. There's not a whole lot of returning guys, obviously. Yeah, well. That's been discussed ad nauseum, but uh, this is the, the top-ranked out of all those returning guys. Yeah, and I think he I think he belongs there, and he's going to prove that he deserves to be there. And by the end of the season, he may be a guy we look at and go, oh, he might have been higher. It does feel like most of like the guys that go on to play – in the NFL from the offensive line at CU, it feels like they're all like two or three star guys, doesn't it? Ryan, well, Ryan Miller had had a little run in the NFL, but man, they've Colorado as bad as you know, they've struggled at times the last 20 years. They've found some pretty darn good under the radar offensive linemen. Well, I, I think I and I haven't looked at see, you know, what rating of offensive lineman gets drafted, but I, I think that um and this is a theory I've developed over, you know, 10 or 15 years watching this whole process. I think that the guys that are highly rated as offensive linemen coming out of high school uh, got big earlier, you know, and they developed a little bit earlier physically. Um, and and a lot of those guys, I think, were at the top of their curve, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and they didn't get a whole lot better as they got into college. And so the guys that end up being fantastic, I, I, I think it's very hard to project. Uh, you know, like like you take you take a guy like like um, Travis Hunter, right? And, and you can see what he can do, okay. But if you're a 17 year old guy and you're six foot six and you're 280, it's not entirely clear what you're going to be in five years from now in terms of how big are you going to be and how tough are you going to be, how hard are you willing to work? And like we talked about, how much do you want it in this game? And so I think you find a lot of these guys like a David Bakhtiari, man, everybody missed on him because one thing, he was a year younger than everybody else. And number two, nobody had any idea, A, that this guy was so well coached in technique in high school and B, that he had a drive and a work ethic second to none, right? Uh, Nate Solder was a tight end and, and nobody could have figured that he would fill in that tall, lanky frame, you know, from 240 up to 310 and be what he ended up being. So I think you see these kids come in as offensive linemen and they really develop. And five years later, they they, they go from being, you know, maybe sort of a goofy look, a tall kid from high school to being the Hulk. Right. Yeah. And and, and it's a whole and, and you just you just don't know. It, I think it's the hardest position on the on a field to project, but I also think it's the one position on the offense on the team where development means more than anything at any other position. Yeah. You can develop, you can take a, a decent two and three star guy. David DeCastro was a first round draft pick out of Stanford um, and one of the top guards in the NFL for years. And he was nobody in high school. He was just run the mill three star, right? But they developed him. They had the program at Stanford at that time and they turned him into a monster. He had there again, he had that mentality. And I remember seeing an interview with him and he said, look, you know, the, I wasn't the most athletic or the biggest or strongest or whatever, but I was not going to let anybody move me. It was just, I was just not going to let anybody move me. And, and that's in here and you can't see in there, right. Until you get out here in these, and they're carrying those weights up and down in a 90 degree temperature and they're, and, you know, and find out whether they can do it or not. You just don't know. 
Yeah, I've always thought that O-line is the toughest position to project uh, you know, future upside or if they have maxed out like you you described there. Uh, and then defensive line, I think, is the hardest to recruit because there's just not a whole lot of really athletic right. defensive linemen across the country right. year after year. So uh, quarterback would be the other one you could kind of debate in terms of it's pretty tough to project quarterbacks when so many of their offers are coming from uh, just throwing the ball in shorts. And, and you right. really don't get to test those guys until they right. have 300 pounders rushing at them at the college right. level. Right. Nope. No, you know, nobody in high school uh, is thrown against a, a traveling or secondary. Nobody in high school is, uh, you know, facing a Jordan Dominic coming off the edge. Nobody. And so you don't know the quarterback. Can they can they see the field? OK. And and you don't know that until you throw them out there in college because they're not going to see defenses like they do in college until they get here. Yeah. All right, up to number eight, and this is where linebacker Levanta Bentley comes in. We were very close with our voting here. I had him nine, William, you had him 11, and Brian Howell at 12. This is a, I wouldn't say a throwback, but this is a a true middle linebacker type guy, you know, six foot frame, compact, uh, really impressive tackles per snap ratio at Clemson. But one of these guys that had some really talented players in front of him that uh, he just didn't get the opportunity there. Like he's expected to a Colorado. Yeah. And I, and he's, he's, you know, the word that comes to my mind, he's a thumper. He's a guy that's going to hit you. And, and, you know, when, and you know, when he comes through there, he uh, may not have the the instincts and all, all the things that a, that a Nate Landman has that he's that kind of a linebacker um, in terms of hitting people. And he's got the weight and the, and the size ratio to, to really be a hitter. Um, and I think he's a leader of a defense from the center in the middle, um, you know, and, and I think given the opportunity to play a lot here, I think he's really going to show things. He's certainly been a leader in, in the whole offseason workouts and what have you. There's no, no doubt about what he's shown us there. But um, he, he and Jamoy Kennedy, are, I think, are going to be a, as good of a pair of inside linebackers as we've seen in a long time at CU. Yeah, do you think? Bentley will prove to be better than Josh Chandler Semedo was last year. Yeah. Yeah. Significantly. That's what I um, thought, think as well. He's yeah. got a little, he's got more athleticism to his game. Right. And he's bigger, uh, significantly bigger actually. And then uh, he, he also, you know, people say, Oh, I hadn't played all that much. Well, you know, let's face it, you know, Clemson, Alabama, and Georgia, they are so loaded with talent that, that really good guys can get off the bench play there. Um, and so not only, and not that you're coached by the top level of coaches in the game, you're playing against the top level players, even practice. And so, uh, he can see anything in back 12 that, that he sees something better in practice. At Clemson. So, uh, I think he's ready to go. And, uh, it'd be very, I'm very interested to see what Kelly does with our defense. These guys, I think he's a guy you can sit him right in the middle. And then you can do things with your other linebackers and uh, have them around, what have you. But uh, I think he does. You sit him right in the middle and you, and you say, stop the run, man. Yeah. And he's carried himself like a starter since he got on campus. He's and exuded a, a level of confidence that, that's right. been pretty impressive. A leader. I think, again, you know, that comes from being in a championship program. And from first many years on, on camp at a place like Clemson, you expected to act in a some way because we win championships here. Okay. 
Uh, and that's you, you learn that you carry it with you and, and, you know, you're expected like that to fight for what you get. You, you, if you kill, if you can't kill, you don't eat. Um, and that to this group, uh, and, and has been a leader throughout. And that's you wanted your middle linebacker to be a leader of your defense. He'll be wearing number 20 out there this year. So uh, I'm getting to that point where I'm trying to start to memorize these numbers. Otherwise, it's going to be kind of head spinning when this season finally kicks off. Right. right. And he's one of the guys that I've learned to recognize his face and, and in the videos and stuff, too. So yeah. I know who he is. And he's fun to watch, and he's you know he uh, the guys are joking around, messing around. He seems like a very serious person to me, and I, I I have not met him, but you know he's always like, oh, okay, that's funny, yeah, but let's get back to work. You know, yeah. he seems like a serious dude. You know, one guy uh, that think- that likes to have fun is number seven, and that's receiver Xavier Weaver. I had him at four on my list. William, you had him at seven, and Brian at eleven. Uh, he's going to wear number 10 for the Buffs this year. Uh, super productive at USF. I mean, 53 catches for 718 yards and six touchdowns. That's uh, a pretty good stat line there. In fact, it's the fifth best receiving season in USF history. Yeah, I think it's funny, you know, we're all excited about Jimmy Horn and and rightfully so. And uh Weaver actually had a bigger season last year and he's a bigger guy. So uh, I think he's a guy, you know, we, we talk about what, how, how will this receiver room play out, but man, uh, they, they, th- these coaches, these coaches have gone out and found uh, guys that they could work with and that they could do things with and, and given Shadur Sanders some real um, weapons here. Uh, so I don't think that there'll be any any difficulty in these guys finding some open spots in the field and making some plays because they've already done it for the most part. And to lump Xavier and Jimmy Horn in together, I think you also mentioned the fact that both those guys have uh, they've just fit in really well and they've connected with the Sanders and Shador and it seems like a really natural fit for those guys working together. Whereas, you know, that's one of the biggest concerns with this football team is how quickly can they gel? Well, you look at, you know, that connection. I mean, it was really from the jump in spring ball because Shador and Jimmy Horn had put so much effort in, uh, in the winter months that it stood out from the jump. And I would kind of expect that to, to be the case with Weaver now that, you know, Shador and him have had this whole summer working together. That's part of the reason Shador Sanders didn't go to the, Manning Passing Academy is because he said, I need to be around in Boulder to get chemistry with these guys. Right. And I think Weaver and, and Jimmy Horn have been out on the field together and run down the field together. And 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 that, that can help, too, with their chemistry. And um, they bring a little bit different skills to the game. Weaver's a little bit taller at 6'1", so he's a matchup guy. You can put him out there in different situations. And uh, so I think they both bring a, a lot of that chemistry people are talking about. Um, to this team. I, I don't think that's going to be as big a problem as some people think it is. Uh, you know, people talk about, well, can the offensive line get chemistry? Well, that's a thing every year. You know I mean? You look at 2016 and 2017, we returned four out of five starters on the offensive line and a fifth guy who had been a starter and played a lot met 20, 2017 offensive line stunk. You know, there's, there's no guarantee in anything just because the guys have played together before or if they haven't played together before. So, uh, but I think, I think like you say, Weaver's another one of those guys. It's like, 
I saw an article, they call them glue guys. and They kind of glue a team together because they're, you know, you're out there busting, you're humping. If you're out there in that 90 degree heat and you're all working hard and, and all you got a bunch of guys going, oh man, this sucks. Well, that, that just makes it worse, right? And you got a bunch of guys out there like, like Jimmy Horn and Xavier Weaver cracking jokes and making fun and, and teasing you and whatever. It's, you know, before you know it, it's all done, right? You just had fun. There you go. I think... <sighs> My feeling on leadership is that if you have great leadership, it can really help a football program take that next step. Again, right. we always use 2016 as the example around here for that. But just because you have good chemistry doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a good football team because there wasn't bad chemistry on Colorado's football team last year, and they were absolutely awful. So uh, I, I think in some instances – leadership can kind of be overrated. It's like that saying, uh, everybody's got a plan until they get hit in the mouth. It's like, you you can't even know if you're going to have good team chemistry until you face adversity during the season. And so, and I would, I would separate leadership from chemistry and and, and say that they're two very different things. And, and, you know, chemistry is how well you work together and click together and do positions mesh together. Whereas leadership says we're going someplace and you're either going to go with us or you're going to get the hell out. Um, and it's not always, you know, in those negative terms, sometimes it's let's go, let's get this done. And so I think what you had in 2016, more so than chemistry was leadership. You had guys on that team that regardless of what the coaches did or didn't do said, we're going to win. We we're done and we're going to get this thing and we're going to make this thing happen. And I think we got guys like that on this team too, who have no intention of, I just look at the guys out, out here on the field, and the leadership I see, and, and I don't see guys who are going to settle for getting beat and losing, you know? And uh, so I just think that people don't have a really good feel for what this team is. And and a lot of the silly, stupid predictions, like, like three wins, that's just silly, stupid. That That's just not paying attention to what the hell's going on here. And that's just looking at last year and saying, Oh, well, that team sucked. They must suck this year. Well, there is almost nothing about this team. Well, there is nothing except for the colors of the other jerseys. That's the same as last year. And and part of that is the leadership that a lot of these guys bring. And everybody came here because they want to be part of something special and everybody's bringing something to that. And one more guy that arrives with a sense of urgency and uh, a lot of proven production already at the college level. And that's number six, Edge Jordan Dominic. Adam at fifth, William Yedem 10, and Brian at four. Uh, this is the top edge player on this year's countdown, which makes sense. I mean, he tied for third in the SEC in sacks last year. Yeah. And I think there's two sides to that story, too. You know, I, some people have rightfully pointed out that he got a lot of his sacks against lesser teams. Um, but uh, he's clearly shown that he could be competitive at the highest level. And, and uh, you know, um, he was at Georgia Tech, so he's played at the ACC as well, and he's had he's his he's had several quite a few years of uh, high level um, competition and work. But uh, he's also a guy who uh, understands that uh, it's it's his last chance, you know, and he's got a real shot given what he's already done. He's got a real shot to get himself drafted if he can really do something this year, and he knows he really has to stand out. He he's he's not the auto, automatic auto, you know. Again, the numbers that the NFL is looking for. You know, he's not going to blow the lights off on combine day in any category. He's got everything he needs, but you know, he's not six, five. He doesn't have that super long reach. He's not, 
he's not the super fastest guy ever, but uh, he kind of puts it all together and is a very, very solid, competent pass rusher. And and I think, you know, you got to have that lead pass rusher uh, before anything else. And I think he's probably that guy. And the fact that they also have Derek McClendon um, and some other guys that might, you know, prove to be pretty good players in there. We've heard uh, Charles Kelly speak highly of Savelle Smalls. Uh, you've got Jeremiah Brown that played on the edge quite a bit when he was at Jackson State. It's not going to be all on Jordan Dominic to create the pass rush. And so I think right. if that was the case, then if you're the other team, you just game plan for him and you chip him right. with running backs and tight ends. And uh, you kind of take him out of the mix a little bit. But I, I don't think you're going to be able to do that. You even throw Shane Cox in there as a guy that we're going to talk uh, about here in a minute that, that's going to yeah. be able to provide some pass rush up front. Right. I was going to say the next guy we're going to talk about it is, is a guy that also feeds into that too. And there's a lot of different guys and you can put guys on either edge. You know, it, it's easy to game plan. Like, you, you know, if you've got a dominant, if you got, if you got like, look at 2016 again, right. When you had Jimmy Gilbert on one side and um, the other guy legacy, uh, uh, geez, I'm blanking. I'm getting old. The, the other, the other outside linebacker that year who got hurt against Michigan had to had the touchdown. Derek McCartney. Derek McCartney. Yeah. Right. You, and when you had when you had Jimmy Gilbert and Derek McCartney, you didn't know what to do because Derek McCartney was as much of a weapon as Jimmy Gilbert. And then the defense changed significantly when Derek McCartney went down and they had to go to a whole different thing. And and to their credit, the defensive coordinator that year, Mr. Pepsi, uh, you know, made a really great adjustment um going with a defensive back instead of an outside linebacker type. And so when you have that guy on the opposite side that you got to account for, it makes it easier for the pass rusher guy, Jimmy Gilbert, in that situation, to be a pass rusher and get things done. So in this in, in this team, when you've got guys like McClendon or Smalls or whoever ends up being that opposite guy, that's going to make things easier and better for Dominic, uh, too. Um, you know, because Dominic's a little bit, you know, he, he's a little reminiscent of uh, Gilbert. He's, he's, he's a lot thicker, but... You know, he's more of a pass rush type guy than hand in the ground, you know, stop the run guy. Um, so you've got other guys that, that can sort of fill. And, and that's the same as 2016, where Derek McCartney was a bigger, stouter. You know, I go all the way back to, you know, the early 90s when you had um, Alfred Williams, you know, who was that super athletic guy on one side. And then you had the big, huge, stout a power stop the run guy um, in Canavis McGee on the opposite side. So it makes a huge difference. Well, yeah, that, that kind of segues us then into Shane Cokes at number five, who again, we have pretty high on all of our list and I expected him to be a pretty decent player, William, but I was pretty surprised at just how good he was uh, coming in from the Ivy league ranks. Some of those guys really struggle to make that jump, but he, from the beginning of spring ball was their best top, their best defense alignment. And that's continued throughout summer. Yeah. And I think it's not just a factor that, that he's the only one. I, I think there's some other guys in there that got some talent, but um, I think Shane Cox is a guy people write off a, because he came from Dartmouth, uh, you know, and B because he's not the most, he's not a 310 pounder. Everybody talks about well, where's those 310 pound uh, lane clogging guys. Well, you know what, whatever, man, you know, you, the guy he reminds me of in recent CU history is Mustafa Johnson, who was kind of in the same mold physically, size-wise. I, I think Shane Cox is, is 
significantly bigger than um, Mustafa, but has that same athleticism and length. And he's going to be a problem for offensive lines because he is not a guy that, that the average offensive guard is equipped to handle uh, in terms of athleticism. Um, yeah. You know, and so people say, well, you know, aren't, well, those 310 guys will just swallow him up. Well, they won't get his hands on him because he's that quick and he's got his, he's got those long arms and he's got really good hand technique to keep people's hands off of him. And so he's a guy who, you know, Jordan Carroll is another one where, you know, you, he, you're going to see him in the backfield a lot because he's just too quick out those first couple steps for the average lineman to, to handle him. So he can give us an inside pass rush. And if we get, you know, when we get into an obvious passing down, we spread things out a little bit. Um, uh, and, and, you know, he's one-on-one with a guard. Most of these guards aren't going to handle him one-on-one on a pass rush because uh, he's just too quick guard. You know, these guards are, it's a whole different beast to go against a 310 pound guy who's not as quick, but super powerful. And then you switch up to this guy Um, and in defensive line terms, put it in boxing terms, you know, he's, he's like a, he's like a boxer versus a puncher. You know, he's an artist, he's an athlete. And I think he's going to show really big things this year. And I think he's going to provide an an element to this defense that uh, people are not expecting at all. Yeah, we knew that Shane Cox coming in from Dartmouth was going to be a really smart young man, right. but not every smart person is a good communicator uh, the way that Shane Cox is. And I was really impressed the first day back for the spring semester when he got up there. And uh, I, th- I think, you know, some of the other guys that that are leaders on this team were looking, uh, we're having a harder time searching for the words where Shane Cox went up there and it just, you could tell he's such a natural leader. Right. And he, and he's got that it factor, you know, and um, he's another guy who, who's at the end of his line, man, you know, uh, he, he's not an obvious draft pick kind of guy and he knows he has to do something at this level. And and he's got a little chip on his shoulder too, because he's an intelligent guy. And, and, and I know he feels like um, people are, are downplaying him a little bit because he comes from the Ivy league and people think, well, they're just, they're all a bunch of smart nerds, but they, they are not athletes. And he's, and I think he's on a mission to prove something um, that he can play this game at the highest level. And I think he's going to be one of those. I think he's going to be, obviously we think highly of him, but nobody outside of Boulder knows Shane Cox. And I think he's going to shock the football world. He's going to be, if I was to pick, if you were to say to me, pick that one guy on defense, who's going to shock the football world. This guy right here, um, you know, because uh, nobody, first of all, most for the most part, people don't know anything about defensive line until they do something. But Shane Cox is going to come out and he's going to show people right from game one um, what an athletic defensive lineman can do. I, I, I think I think he's going to give us what I had hoped to see from his last year from Mustafa Johnson, who never quite came back from that knee injury. Um, and I think we're going to see Shane Cox become that guy. All right, up to number four on our top buffs countdown is running back Alton McCaskill, the fourth. William, you and I had him at sixth, Brian at three. Uh, the I, the only question here is, has he been able to get all that rust off? Because he missed last year with a torn ACL. I mean, you look at the numbers he put up as a true freshman at Houston, 1,100 yards of offense, 18 touchdowns, uh, and you turn on the film, this is a – a pretty special talent as a running back and was one of the top 10 running back transfers this winter. Uh, I've said it before 
and I'm not trying to say that he's going to be Adrian Peterson in terms of a, a career, but his running style and size and all that just reminds me so much of Adrian Peterson's film. Uh, and, and like Peterson, McCaskill's from Texas. So there's a lot of similarities there. You know, he's got good, but not elite speed. He was like a 10, nine guy in the hundred. So that's, that's really fast, but it's not, you know, that 10, six blazing guy. So uh, I, I love his film a lot and I can't wait, wait to see what he produces, assuming that he has, you know, fully recovered from that injury. Yeah, and a lot of the best guys in in football history at running back have not been the super blazing speed guys. It's really it's not the position that's about speed. It's about vision and balance and change of direction. And it really, it's more about instant acceleration on in the first two or three steps. It's like you know, you, can you see the hole in the first place? And and believe me, that's where most of them fail. You know, like you know, I, I, Daryl Scott, man, that that guy. It's like he had a magnet that drew him to an offensive lineman's butt, man. It's like that's the kind of guy you hate to coach an offensive line for because I don't care where I block my guy. You're going to run into my big, bat, big fat butt. You know, I, yeah. damn, man, what the – open your eyes, dude. And Whereas Speedy Stewart was the complete opposite, right? Yeah, right, right. Just, you know, jitterbug and there it is and, and see it, you know. And Eric Bianami was that guy. You know, it's like he could just see those holes and and I couldn't do it. I, You know, I mean, it looks like a jumble of, of dudes to me, but that's why it's a special skill and a special talent. And clearly McCaskill has it. Um, and he's done it at a high level and, uh, you know, his size and speed and everything else. And I, and I think that the nice thing too, is that he doesn't have to be the only guy in that backfield because he's got some other companions that we've already yeah. talked about, uh, that, that give us some real, um, different options and things that we can do in, on, in that offense. Uh, but I think he's going to be, he, he's another one that you look at and you go three wins. Man, are you sure? You seem kind of stupid when you say that and you, and you look at guys like this. Well, just the fact that Anthony Hankerson might be fifth on the depth chart at running back, I'm not putting that in pen. He's certainly got a right. chance to not be that. But I think as you look at things right now, you'd probably say uh, because Savion Wilkerson has uh, played a lot of football for Coach Prime and, and yeah. uh, right. Pavosier Smoke is more experienced and, and McCaskill's got – a lot of talent and Dylan Edwards was dynamic this spring. Uh, that's a good problem that, that coach flea has, I, I yeah. think at that position. Yeah. And I, I think we, when we talked about Wilkerson, uh, I think I had Wilkerson rated the highest of anybody. I didn't think I had him as high. I don't, you know, I don't think I had him as high as I had, uh, had McCaskill, but, uh, uh, I think he's a guy that's going to, again, also really surprise the, the, buff fans and the nation too because you know he's just some guys got it and both of those guys got it and we just you know? we didn't even mention charlie offered and that's uh yeah, yeah. obviously coach prime's guy you know you, you right, can just right. you, you can see that i think coach prime's gonna want charlie to have a few opportunities out there on yeah. game day well and you take a guy like that and he's got heart and leadership and he and you know if you can get it, people to work the way he does who've got talent then they're gonna have something but you know, you look at the running backs on this team and you got to go back to, to 2001 to have three running backs on a CU team like the guys we got in the room this year, you know, with 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 Smoke and McCaskill and uh, Wilkerson um, and all three a little bit different. You know, like uh, uh, McCaskill is probably your, out of those three 20, 2001 guys. He's probably your 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 um, Chris Brown with his size. Um and, and I think, you know, uh, Wilkerson's maybe more like Bobby Purify, um, but 
these three guys bring, and then I don't think we, we didn't have a home run hitter like, um, uh, who's the young kid, the freshman Dylan, Dylan uh, Edwards. We, we didn't have a home run hitter like Edwards. We didn't have it that year, not a running back. Uh, where Dylan Edwards, you know, you, you put him in on third down when they're expecting a pass, you hit him in the flat, he's gone, gone. So, a lot of where you can even blink your eyes, he's gone, right? Right, except you'll be hearing him <laughs> all the way down the field, you'll hear him chirp, 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 chirp. So, uh, and you know, and I, I know we're not, we're not, we're not talking about Edwards right now, but man, you see that kid squatting, holy crap, yeah. <laughs> holy. Squat. If if I'm pinned under a truck, I hope he's there. Yeah, it that segues us into number three. Jimmy Horn Jr. was standing out, you know, in terms of some of those um, the the max day that they had before they broke uh, for a brief break before preseason camp. And I, I I'd imagine there's going to be a few people that go, how could you and William have Jimmy Horn four spots higher than Xavier Weaver? And I'll admit, it might just be simply the fact that I saw Jimmy Horn run through 15 practices. Well, they weren't all open, but uh, I got to see uh, three open practices, and he stood out big time each one of those. So there might be a built-in bias there that will will change once I get that same experience watching Xavier Weaver. I don't know, but I just know I've been able to see Jimmy Horn more at CU at this point. Yeah. And, and I think that's, you know, we talked about from the start of this uh, series about how, you know, we don't have a lot of experience watching some of these guys. So a lot of it's about projecting what we think is going to happen. Well, Jimmy Horn Jr. is one of the ones we have seen a lot of. And even even before spring ball, we saw a lot of videos of him out there working against defensive backs and working with Shadur Sanders. And, and um, Jimmy Horn Jr., man, he, he's got that it factor that, you know, you know, you could be a great player and not be a star. I don't know if that makes sense. If you follow me on that, Jimmy Horn Jr. is a star. <laughs> that that's a dude, and, and it's not like he's searching out the camera, but he's like he's like Prime man. He's like when the camera hits him, the electricity comes on, you know, and, yeah. and he he just makes you smile because he's always got, <clears throat> and he's not a, he's not a jackass, you know. I mean, he's it, it's he, he's got intelligent things to say, and he's got funny things to say, and and. He backs it up on the field, um, and I think he's the kind of he, you know, he's the kind of guy who has success, and you're happy for his success because he's a happy dude. He makes you feel better. He makes you feel better, and those, you need those guys on a football team because it's a drag sometimes, you know. And so you got if you got those guys, they're in the military we call them force multipliers, you know, where where he brings more out of guys around him just because of his attitude. He brings more to the field than just his skills, and his skills are prodigious, man. And it's got substance, yeah, because when you. Uh, you don't just see him dancing. You also see him being when they're running stadiums, being the first one to finish and then trying to, uh, you know, get other guys to pick up their pace a little bit. And uh, so it's, yeah, it's pretty impressive what what he's uh, done in in terms of building up expectations this quickly. Yeah. yeah, When he met with us this spring for a media scrum, there was, I, I don't know, maybe 20, 25 reporters there he couldn't have been more comfortable in his own skin. They're like he was in his element talking to us. If, if folks out there listening to this, haven't seen it, just Google, uh, go on to YouTube and search Jimmy Horn spring ball interview at Colorado. And uh, he, he's, he's, yeah, he's got a, a good sense of humor. And uh, like you said, he's, 
a guy that people are just going to want to naturally follow here. Yeah, and I think you know, as a receiver, he's 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 not a very big guy, but he's but he's one of the fastest guys on the team. Got tremendous ball skills and, and fantastic hands, you know, and, and really has a knack for uh, twisting defensive backs around and getting open out there. So uh, he he's a guy. I I would venture to guess at this early point that that he's probably the first guy that that Shadur is looking for when he comes up to the line of scrimmage is where's Jimmy Horn. Um, and they've developed that kind of a chemistry and connection. And I think it's going to be, he, uh, who was the kid in 2016 who every year he could just run, he could run like a race car, but couldn't catch the ball. Uh, uh Devin that, Ross, Devin Ross. Yeah. yeah. He's going to be, he can be what Devin Ross could have been with that speed. Cause he's going to be open and he can be open behind guys a lot. Yeah. We were just gushing about Dylan Edwards, Jimmy Horn jr. Ran the same forty during winter yeah. testing yeah. a four three eight. So, uh, yeah, and, and didn't talk about it near as much. So we're we going to do this, William, and we got to kind of do these together. And I'm going to explain why. But yeah, well, I don't know. We you know that that's it, isn't it? There's nobody else that we didn't talk about on this team. <laughs> uh, I don't know. You know, I guess I guess we we, we got to talk about some guys that, that weren't highly rated that, that surprised us. Is that where we are now in, in the? Well, the reason we're going to do number two and number one on the 2023 Top Ops Countdown together is because uh, we've talked about both of these guys so much. Um, in this context, I think we need to talk about it in terms of what our voting criteria was. I voted Travis Hunter number one on my list because I think he is the most talented football player on this team. And, and the fact that he's going to play both ways is he's going to have an immense impact on this program. But I also get why you and Brian both had him too, because you had Shadur Sanders number one. And I, yeah. you can tell me if my theory on this is wrong, but I'd assume that you guys both had him number one because you view that as the most important position. Or, or am I wrong there? I think you're wrong on that for me personally. Wow, okay. And I was I was going to say, because I've always heard Brian say that the starting quarterback's the number one guy, because that's what he is. Uh, he wasn't in Boulder the last couple of years, though. No, no, <laughs> that's for sure. But I'm going to push back a little bit because uh, I think Shadur Sanders is a better football player than Travis Hunter. Yeah, I said it. There it is. And and I and I say that based on what they've produced at the college level. And I think Shadur Sanders is a – I mean, he, he is a phenomenal college quarterback. You know, if he's more than that, you know, we'll see one way or the other. But he is uh, – and, and I, I, you know, let me preface this by saying I'm pretty jaded by the quarterback and play that we've watched for the last 10 years. But watching him play the quarterback position is glorious. It's, it's like watching a maestro, you know. It's, it, it's like watching, you know, when he, he can see the field. He understands his offense. He can get the ball to his guys. He can run. He can throw. He just really does it all. And I think it's selling him short to automatically say Travis Hunter's a better football player you know, you know, better athlete. I don't know. How do you define the term athlete who can run faster, whatever, but, uh, and I'm not, I'm not denigrating Travis Hunter in any way, shape or form, because he is one of the true phenomenal talents in the entire country. But, um, I think Shadur Sanders is a better football player so far in their careers and he's proven it. And, uh, you know, it's like, okay, there was the, Funny video cracked me up of uh, Coach Prime 
teaching um, uh, 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 Peyton Manning how to play defensive back. I don't know if you saw that or not, and, and, and Shadur was out throwing the ball for him. Um, quite clearly, Deion Sanders uh, is, is a far better athlete than Peyton Manning, right? But Peyton Manning is just as good a football player, just as good a football player, and just as dominant at his position as Deion Sanders was at his position. So you see what I'm saying, the difference in how one can be as good a football player as the other and be very different types of talents at different types of positions. Um, I think Shadur Sanders is, is a phenomenal, fantastic quarterback. And so I, I, I voted for him in that spot because I think he's the best football player on this team. Yeah. I mean, I had Shadur Sanders number two on my list, so it's not like I'm going to sit here and, yeah. and really debate you a whole lot. I mean, it's, I think it is a debate. I think uh, you could have either of these two guys, number one on your list. If there's ever been a year, William, I think, a 1A, 1B situation would be applicable. I think this would probably be the year. I just, one of the things I do want to throw out there with Travis Hunter is the fact that he was never healthy. He was never anywhere close to being healthy last year at Jackson State. That, Mm -hmm. if you watch the documentary on Amazon Prime, I mean, that ankle was pretty gnarly looking like that. Yeah. He was, he was playing at what, like 60%, you know, last year. So, uh, and, and I go back to that one snap at cornerback prior to the spring game where, I mean, Travis Hunter hadn't taken a rep at that position. Coach Prime puts him there and it was textbook. I mean, it's, there's yeah. been some really good corners that have come through Colorado. I would, his just natural ability as a corner reminds me the most, not maybe body type, but like just naturally roll out of bed. I'm an amazing corner is Jimmy Smith who was just so natural at the position. Now he's a bigger guy than Travis is right now, but uh, Jimmy went on to play in the NFL for a long time and and Carlos had some other corners, but just that natural roll out of bed. I mean, that I haven't seen that out of another corner at Colorado. Yeah, and, and, and the two guys that come to my mind, I'm an older guy is Chris Hudson, number one, and Deion figures is the other one. Uh, have that natural ability. And again, I have, I please do not misunderstand that I am not putting down Travis Hunter in any way, shape, or form because I think he's fantastic and, and an amazing talent. I'm just saying, at the two different positions, I, I, I just think there's an argument to be made that, that Stuart Sanders is the best player on this team because he, in his position, is as dominant as we expect Hunter to be as well. So I, I just think it, it's not an obvious thing and then we go back and forth you know I'm, I'm not trying to change your mind you're not going to change my mind because i put some thought into this uh i i am just super impressed with shadur sanders watching him in every aspect of being a quarterback and one of them is that intangible sort of i'm the leader of this team and you don't got to say it because if you got to say it you ain't it Right. Mm-hmm. And he is the leader of his team. And, 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 and you see it in the videos. And, and, and the other thing is that both of these guys bring to the table that level of leadership uh, that, that, that lifts guys up around them. Um, uh, in terms of his personality and just watching him interact with other guys, the guy Travis Hunter reminds me of is Sal Ness, who when he was a quarterback and, you know, was a good friend and, and, you know, we worked summer together and everything else. Sal was a, Sal was that kind of electric guy. He just liked to be around. Okay. And I'm, and I'll say it because 
one reason you like to be around because you're 19 and, and women gravitate to him. You like that. Right. But he's just sort of that. He, he just brings everybody with him. You know, everybody knows Travis Hunter is a superior talent, but he brings everybody with him and he goes in and plays basketball in the pickup center and talks to people and just sort of has that. And I'm not, I know I'm not articulating well what it is I'm trying to say. I guess you kind of had to know Sal, you kind of had to know Travis to understand what I mean, but they just are superior people for lack of a better word, you know, and, and I think that uh, both he and Shadur bring that kind of natural leadership. You know, Shadur Sanders grew up from the time he was in a crib, learning football theory from the best, right? How do you read a defense? How do you, how do you look off a corner? It's like, who, who's going to teach you better how to, how to beat a cornerback than Deion Sanders. Right. Um, and so I, I just, I couldn't be more excited to have about the, the two guys at the top of this list. And, and I can't think of any time, you know, in the last 10, 15 years that we've had two guys at the top of the list like these two guys. Yeah. I mean, it's just, again, putting things in perspective, like if last year at this time I said, oh, a year from now when we finish up the 2023 top ups countdown, uh, you're going to have a former four-star blue chip quarterback. You're going to have the top ranked cornerback recruit from the previous two cycles, not just right. this past one or the year before, but the last right. two. Uh, I, I mean, we're very much glass half full type people, William. Right, uh, right. But I mean, there's no way we could have ever envisioned this happening. Well, and I, and I go back to this, you know, and I, I don't know. I, this three win thing, man. Obviously, it's under my skin and it's and it sticks. But Shadur Sanders and Travis Hunter and Deion Sanders, these are not dudes that lose. They don't lose, man. Yeah. At anything, at anything, ever, ever. So anybody looking at these guys, you know, Sal Sanceri, man. You know, uh, Kelly Lewis. These these are not people who lose. These are not people who fail at what they do. And they're all in Boulder. You know, I I, I was thinking back to, uh, you know, how, how negative and how ugly it was uh, at the end of last season. And who's going to come in to coach this team? And is it going to is it going to be just another, you know, run of the mill guy to coach somewhere else? You know, and nobody could have done this the way it's happened, except Deion Sanders. You know, yeah. and, and one of the reasons is nobody else could have brought these two dudes. Nobody, you know, uh, and so uh, it, it, it's stunning to me to see where we are on, you know, uh, July 30th versus where we were on January 1st. It's mind blowing, quite frankly. Uh, and to, to have a for, for think about this for a second. Here we are at the top of our top 40 debating which one of these fantastic, phenomenal, amazing players is number one right instead of it being obvious yeah uh, and there's a good debate to be had it's not just lip service you know it's, so, it's been pretty obvious around colorado most years without question right yeah right yeah and then like yeah then you i mean you can get into so many layers of like okay do you could you also vote on the criteria that okay who's who's gonna hurt the team more if they happen to get injured and i don't want to talk about injuries but like right you've got a lot of skill guys yeah. 
you don't have another Shadour Sanders in this right. football right. team right now. And Ryan Staub and Casey Weissman might be good quarterbacks down the road, but but they're freshmen right, right. now. Right. And I think nobody's more afraid. I think everybody's, you know, you got that tingly sense of, oh my God, I hope nothing happens to this guy more than anybody else I, that I've just we'll, we'll knock on. I'm knocking on everything in here. So right, right. don't, don't come, and come after remember, me. I can't remember anybody for a long time that critical. You know, I guess in a very in a different sort of sense, um the 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 the, the guy in um twenty sixteen was our was the quarterback. Um God Sefo Lufau. Sefo Lufau, and we didn't know going into the season whether we we're gonna have him or not. Yeah, you know, that foot injury, and he ended up being the difference. Uh and so, you know, Shadur, I think Another reason why I have Shadur first, I guess maybe that goes back to that position being the number one guy. If you got that guy, you can win games, man. You know, and, and Sefo didn't even, you know, nobody could ever say Sefo was a pure passer and a great passer. But my God, again, that was a dude that don't lose. He, he refused to lose. And so having those guys, it, it just there's no way for me to overstate the level of excitement and legitimate excitement that people should have about CU football right now. And, you know, if you, if you're one of those people after going, well, you know, I'm going to keep my expectations low. So I don't get disappointed. Let it go, man. Let it go. Let yourself be free. Roll with, roll with the sunshine. You know, yeah. But I mean, out. if you think they're going to go 12 and no though, then like, no, I'm sorry, no. but you're probably going to be a little bit disappointed. Like, it, right, but no, but I don't think anybody's talking about that, but I think winning six or seven games is, is, is seems to me like a no brainer for this group. Again, I, I think this is the, the best top most countdown we've ever done. Um, one other thing we should mention here before we close out, William, is that they're not able to accomplish this. If Todd Solomon, Rick George and Phil DeStefano don't, create a pilot program to be able to bring in guys from the transfer portal, because this was, would have been impossible a year ago. And so that's one other facet that really needs to be talked about. And I think it's easy to forget that because of all the excitement around coach prime, but you get, you got to remember that, you know, there was CU brass that took a lot of criticism in, in, in a lot of cases, rightfully so, but they stepped up and, and, and they got it fixed. Well, thank God, you know, and, and, and Todd Salomon, was the right guy at the right time. And Jesus, I'm at a loss for words to think about. I, my, I kind of got tight in my chest there thinking about what if, what if, what if we didn't get him or, or what if the old guy was still there, you know? And, and, and so just having that right person at the right time at the top is, is making all the difference. And so, yeah, you know, when it's always been my experience and I'm getting to be old now, 58, but, uh, when things go right, it's the product of a lot of things going right. Okay. A lot of little things behind the scenes going right. And, and all the way up and down through the various ranks of, a, of an organization. And, and, and they're all kind of coming together. It feels like right now, you know, and I don't know, even the timing of the, of the conference thing to be getting it done before camp feels like it's the right time and it's done. And, whew, you know, God worried about it. Where are we going to land? Where are we going to wind up? We're going to be stuck with CSU, man, for God's sakes. So it's all kind of playing out um, as well as I think it could 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 have done. And and so you know we'll knock on wood and cross our fingers. And I I think you know 
what I would take away from this top 40, if you've been watching all this, if you've been listening to us blather back and forth with each other, is be excited, man, because there's some talent on this team. Yeah. You you laid out a lot there, William. It, it, it is. There's so many layers of what led Colorado, what Colorado's gone through the last 20 years. I was doing a, one of my radio spots last week, and they're like, what happened to Colorado football? And I'm like, we're, we're going to have to skip. I'm going to have to come back right. after break because there's – and I just started rattling off things really yeah. quickly. I mean, it's been unbelievable what CU fans have had to endure um, outside of 2016, really dating back to 2001, because uh, late during the Gary Barnett tenure, that was that was tough times to be a CU fan, yeah. too. And so, uh, gosh, it, there's no fan base out there that deserves yeah. to enjoy success right. more than Colorado's does right now, because uh, you know, even Kansas is more competitive now and they've always had the basketball side of things, you know, Colorado, uh, they, they deserve to, to Colorado fans deserve to enjoy, uh, some yeah. success, success here going forward. Yeah. You know, I, I, I didn't go to business school. I went to law school like, like an idiot, but, uh, you know, I, I would think that looking at CU football would be a, an interesting organizational study in failure because it failed at every single level and aspect at different times yeah thing. yeah o- over the course of the last 20 years it has failed in every single possible way and you could really pick this thing apart and and, and why why did it how, how, how could what bill mccartney and, and you know so what bill mccartney built and put us in the top five in the country i i believe literally one of the top five programs in the country at that time and that didn't come apart overnight because it started to slip almost right off the bat with new Huddle. You know, um, and then Barnett brought a little bit back, but but there were but they were if you you know you couldn't have seen it at the time, but looking back, you could certainly see the problems and the and the cracks in the foundation. Uh, you know, as far back as as Gary Barnett, um, and then it was just a succession of horrors, man. You know, I, I, a judge I was in front of a, cu- a couple of weeks ago referred to the uh, defense counsel argument as well. That's a parade of horribles. <laughs> <laughs> and I was standing there going, "Hey, let me tell you about a parade of horribles." <laughs> that's good. Yeah, uh, that, that's that. That should be uh, the the slogan for for Colorado football uh, before Deion Sanders got to to Boulder. Yeah, and and that's why I always sort of sort of you know like made a face whenever somebody's talked about a bandwagon fans and see you. Ain't no bandwagon fans. Well, there are no, okay, there are now, but we're not gonna we're not gonna knock them because God bless them. Welcome back. Yeah, but you know. By the end of last year, there was nobody left on any bandwagons, man. If you you were just dog stupid, <laughs> all of us were just dog stupid and stubborn. I don't know what our problem is. Somebody ought to have done a psychological study on what 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 kind of a dumbass would still be a fan of this program <laughs> after the last ten years. I mean, your wife almost gave you an ultimatum at one point, didn't she? Well, we she yeah, you know, she said, "Look, this is this is not good for you, and it's not fun." Yeah. Why? Why? We're not going. We're not going up there because, as she said, we're not going up there because it's, it doesn't do good things for you. And you are not a good person coming out of it. And and I was like, wow, that's that's really a wake up, you know. Yeah. Um, so well, yeah, it's, good, I, it's good you hung on long enough, though, to uh, get to this side of it where we're right. doing, uh, you know, a top 40 buffs countdown with guys like Travis Hunter on it. Right. Right. You know, and and. You know, I, I I said to her too. I was like, I don't know what else to do. I've been above since 1983. Yeah, I, I don't know where. 
it's it's like like there's an old old movie uh officer and a gentleman and and you know a guy wants to be a navy pilot and the guy's trying to get him to quit he says i got nowhere else to go <laughs> what are we gonna do be a csu fan give up football be a nebraska yeah. fan for christ's sakes i'd rather freaking slip my wrist or throat or whatever but this is who i am man you know just uh and you, like you can college see football will like i I get that like a lot of people get turned off by the the portal and NIL and all that stuff, but college football is as popular now as it's ever been. Right. Right. And, and it's because it's a unique experience where you right. have a connection to a place that is beyond, I'm sorry, you could be a diehard Broncos fan, but you didn't spend four or five years in a lot of cases uh, going to school there. Or even if you didn't go to, to the university of Colorado, you probably grew up, going to football yeah. games in Boulder and seeing Ralphie run. And you have this connection that you just can't replicate when you're talking about professional well, sports. Yeah. And you know, you, you know, all those guys up at CU, even, even though they're many of them are there for the first time ever, they're all going into Northern library and they're all going into Sewell hall and they're all going into the the bookstore on the Hill. And they're all going into the, the same buildings we all went into and walked on the same ground. We all walked on and, and, you know, in some cases for younger guys, same professors and whatever. And, and it's a shared connection, you know, like those Bronco dudes, I don't got no connection to them. I'm not allowed inside the Valley. Right. I mean, you know, I don't have any connection to those guys, anything whatsoever. So it it is a shared thing. Even when they transfer in, they still become a part of, you know, you know, I've been in that weight room up there in the champion center. I've been on that field inside the indoor playing field. I've been on that practice field. Um, and it, it's just, I worn I worn a damn uniform, man. You know, I ain't ever worn a Bronco uniform. <laughs> I got, got my old freedom bowl Jersey hanging in the, in the lot, in the closet, even now, you know, it looked like a jackass if I put it on, but <laughs> you actually, you broke that out for our CU sports jeopardy in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. Do you remember oh, that? Did I really? Yeah. yeah. Uh, did I wear it? You did. Yeah. And actually I've been doing some throwback Thursday features on buffstampede.com. I think I'm going to throw back up some of those CU sports jeopardy shows. I I'm oh, trying to remember did you beat Patrick Godosi, right? Isn't that who you battled I on I that? Lost. I think I lost. Didn't oh, I? you lost. Okay. Yeah, I can't remember. Those, uh, those were a lot of fun. Yeah, that was fun. I, they didn't get a whole lot of views. I think it was honestly, people were just like, there wasn't sports going on. So people were just kind of right. doing other stuff. You know, they were binging Netflix, the yeah. tiger King at that point. Yeah. Good Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that, you know, even that, that's like, you know, we, we've, we've got, man, you know, you and I got, we, you and I got a decade of, of shared times going out to high schools and looking at these kids and watching them go through the program and seeing who made it, who didn't, you know, and, and that's why college football, you know, it's like, and you go, you, you know, there's no marching bands in the NFL. I mean, that may sound goofy, but, it's important to me, man. You know, yeah. the way they march down the hill and they, and they, you know, and the way they play down there. I don't know. It's, it's just something that's very, it, it's, it's kind of, it's almost childlike in a way. Uh, it's like I said about going back to the big 12, it's like going home. You know, I go up there, I go up there to Folsom field five, six times a year. It's like going home, you know, and all the people I know, Hey, there's uncle Jimmy, the weird one, you know, and, there's 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 old marching band sitting over there always you know playing the, the songs we like or whatever and you know, and the wire and the sound system and yeah. you know yeah. we we all got a lot of shared 
trauma, I guess I can say history, yeah, but yeah. we got a lot of shared trauma, you know, and, and, uh, so that, that I think was what makes us all a family. And, and, you know, even, even when guys are brand new, there, there's also something about the whole commitment process where in the NFL, you're drafted and that's where you go to. Right. Whereas in college, you got to be convinced to come here mm-hmm. and, and you make an active choice to be a CU Buffalo. Right. And then it's like, Hey, hooray, that guy picked us, man. Hooray. You know, like, like this, this kid, Charles Lester, he picked us. He just didn't know it yet. We'll get there. But uh, <laughs> it's just something that's entirely different from the NFL pro game, you know, and, and even though these kids are, are transferring and there's NIL and everything else, they don't, they're not mercenaries, man. You know, they're, they're, they're college kids and they're going to go out and chase girls. And, and you know, like they're, they're watching the video with um, Chauncey and, and coach prime. And he talked about, look, man, you know, don't let the rest of your life be dictated by five minutes of pleasure right now. Mm-hmm. Get your brain right and do the right thing. And he has to say that because they're dumbass, you know, 18, 19, 20 year old kids. Like I was at CU, like I was in the military and, and we've all been there. We all relate to it, you know? Nothing and you have, yeah, you have to, you have to understand that their brains aren't fully developed yet. And again, I would imagine almost all of us did some stupid stuff before we turned 25. Before 25. (laughs) Even after, after, you know, if we're going to, if we're going to talk about my life history, I got out of the Navy at 28 and I was an idiot to do it. And I did it because I was young and I, and I didn't have the, the experience, you know, and I look back now and at 28, I was like, God, I got to do another 10 years of this. That's forever. Now 58. Now I'm like, what an idiot. That kid's an idiot. Man, do you do you do your next 10 and be done? And but you don't think like that at that age. And, and Where, but that's why Coach Prime is so perfect right. to be coaching at this level. Right. Uh, right. he says that I'm a need to be needed person and and right. uh he could have picked a better program in that sense uh, to come coach at because uh I, I, think, I think he I think he enjoy he he gets energy off people's yeah. enthusiasm because of what he's doing. I think that kind of fuels him a little bit. And, and I think, I think that's what people miss about him too. I think they, they see the flash and the sizzle and they don't realize the depth of the man. And, you know, so when you see that conversation of him talking to those guys and, and bringing in a Chauncey Billups, who they still remember as a professional athlete. And, and, and he takes that time with Chauncey Billups to talk about not football, but life decisions that's who you want your son to be with that guy you know not not some idiot that's like well you know football 24 7 let, let let's get your life right and and then football will be right usually uh, sorry go ahead no, no go ahead i was just gonna say usually i go into camp just a little bit pessimistic and then being around the football team every day uh, just feeling the enthusiasm of folks as the season gets closer. Right, I'll right. be honest. Sometimes my, my win prediction goes up a little bit this year. Like the optimism has already started and camp has, hasn't even kicked off yet, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. And I think part of that is because the access we've been granted through all the videos and such, yeah. which is entirely different from anything in the last 15 years. And I, I, you know, this, this is what I've been saying every year is put your program out there and you grow it. 
you know, and, and that's what they do here is like, let us all see it. Now, we're the dudes that pay the, the, the money and come in and show up and have the enthusiasm. Give us a bone to chew on, man. Yeah. And they get it and they see that. Whereas this top secret, not going to show you anything. And uh, we know this team. We know these players. We've watched them. We've watched their personalities. You know, we've had more access in in the last eight months than we've had in the last eight years. And so I'm far more invested in this team. I, I, I honestly, I didn't give a damn about this team, you know, at the end of December. And now, now I know these guys not having met any one of them at all face to face, but seeing their personalities through all these videos and stuff, I know these dudes and I'm pulling for them and I'm on their side and I see the, the depth of what's going on up there. And I, and I look at these coaches, I watch coach Mo and his staff and they're fantastic and phenomenal and, and just watch what they're doing up there. And it's hard not to be really excited. It's hard. You see which guys are taking leadership, you know, like, you know, Lichtenhan's really taking leadership of that offensive line and, and Shane Cox is taking leadership of that defensive line. And, um, you know, so, so uh, it, 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 it's hard not to be excited. And, and again, you know, they brought in a bunch of guys to this program who who all want to be here, and there seems to be collectively again doing this top forty. There seems to be collectively most of these guys got a chip on their shoulder and something to prove is yeah. why they came here. But is it, almost every last guy I can think of? Obviously, Shadur and and, and um, Travis don't have anything to prove, but uh, almost every other guy that's come in here has got a chip on their shoulder and something to prove, and and that is a potent. Uh, uh, medication, I guess, to 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 get people to push extra and give you more. Yeah. Well, William, we could talk for we could talk all day about this stuff. <laughs> Obviously, people can hear the passion in our voice, but we got still some time here before the season does kick off. Hopefully, we can find some time in your schedule to record a couple podcasts during preseason camp because uh, I'd imagine again continuing with the access. Yeah. They're going to maybe not show everything because you've got to have some semblance of secrecy leading up to the season. But um, I think people will continue to be engaged throughout August. And so I think there's going to be a whole lot to talk about here the next few weeks. Yeah, for sure. And I, you know, you know, we get, as we get through, through camp, we start to, it'll, you know, positions will start to iron themselves out as to who's number one and all the way down the depth chart. And also, you know, it's still, it still remains to be seen what uh, Lewis and Kelly do with their schemes on both sides of the ball and who fits in where and what they're doing. So that'll be interesting to watch, um, you know, further developments, I guess, in, in the conference alignment situation. You know, I know, I know the question is probably first and foremost on every Buff fan's mind, where will the CSU lambs land? <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, plenty of things I think that we can address moving forward, but uh, and we'll see a lot of this, top 40 play out as to <clears throat> who winds up starting and what the offense looks like. And, and, you know, as we get, by the time we get to the first game, I think we'll have an idea of who the initial stars will be. And I, and I say initial because one thing that's been this here, here, here's another thing that is why people love college football, right? You, you got a bunch of young dudes and you start the season and I've always been surprised and, and kind of amazed Every single year, every single team I followed closely, you're starting 22 in game one is very different 
yeah. in game 11, game 12 at the end of the season. It becomes very different, and you make changes, and guys fall by the wayside, and other guys explode and, and become a guy. So we'll be looking at a very different team halfway through the season. We'll be looking at a very different team towards the end of camp than what we think we're looking at right now. So it'll be interesting to watch all that develop and see who does what. Yeah, you definitely can't rank 40 scholarship guys, Most the vast majority of which yeah. have never played the program you cover and, and not make mistakes yeah. in there. So yeah. uh, no, at no point in the past of doing this countdown have we ever claimed that this is going to be uh, – you should write this down in pen. This is just an exercise yeah. to – really go through, you know, the roster and, and get a feel for where the team is. And, and I, it is one of the better exercises in terms of giving a feel for what a team's ceiling and floor is, honestly. Yeah, I think so too. And I think, I think we'll clarify a lot of this by the time we get TCU game in terms of who ends up in the top two of every position and what have you, and what, what our defense looks like. And, you know, we know, we're going to have two edge guys or we're going to have something else and what have you and who they are and what have you. So I think by uh TCU game, we'll have a, a, a much clearer view of this roster. And then, you know, five, six games in 12 games in, we'll have an even more uh, developed view of what we have here, but I'm very optimistic and I feel very positive on almost every aspect. You know, w- one other thing we haven't mentioned so far in any of these videos is it's very clear to me that these guys are being taught how to play the game and it may seem obvious to everybody that that's what coaching is teach them how to play the game but if you've watched CU football last 10 years they don't know how to play the game man they they, they, individual guys out on the field don't seem to understand situations you know uh if it's late in the game and it's and it's third and eight and you know you're on offense you get out of bounds do you you know if a ball what do you do in this situation? What do you do in that situation? And all those little things were not taught. They're all going to get taught this year. And it's all going to show on the field when guys know what to do in individual situations. And they didn't previously. And a big difference there is who came in number one on this countdown. Shador Sanders is, is now your quarterback in Boulder, which uh, yeah. is why you and Brian both voted him there. And so uh, anxious to, again, Keep talking as we go through this whole process. Uh, it's been yeah. fun. Uh, everybody out there that, that made it to the end of the show, because we've gone a long time here, uh, kudos to you. Uh, hopefully this wasn't uh, – uh, I don't know what the right word is, but we, we went we went very in-depth on, on, on this countdown, and so hopefully people enjoyed that. Yeah, well, it was a lot of fun, and, and uh, I really enjoy the fact that, you know, we get good chemistry and we we're able to just kind of feed off each other and, and go – Sometimes to go off on segues, and I hope it's interesting. You know, I mean, I, I I tend to go a lot into the history, you know, the last 30, 40 years of CU football and bring out things that I remember what help have you and, you know, my personal experiences coaching and playing the game, and hopefully that's fun. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, we've gotten good feedback on these shows, so I, I think it is, and I think that uh, you would have made it through the last 20 years if you didn't have that good memory to, to remember some of the glory right. days to to know what CU football is capable of. So we're going to end the show he, here. But, uh, yeah, William, let, let's do a show during camp. And, again, thanks, everybody out there for tuning in.